and uh, love getting the chance to preach, and uh, Tom is gone, and so I'm excited to get the chance to uh, introduce week two of this series we're in. It's called Come to Me, and uh, we're kind of examining all the different times that Jesus said those words to different people for different purposes. Last week, we talked about uh, when Jesus said, come to me when you're weary, and uh, Tom did a phenomenal job to open up the series. We're going to continue talking about uh, when Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and it's, uh, it's appropriate because Promotion Sunday, and so there's all kinds of children moving all over the place in different places. The seventh graders moved up the hill to be uh, teenagers officially, which is always fun and exciting and scary, and uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's a good time. We are going to be in Mark chapter 10, if you want to go ahead and start getting that direction, um, and uh, while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and... Uh, Ask God to bless our time together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for another school year starting. And though it can sometimes bring size from the student section, we're just excited about what's, uh, what's to come. And, uh, you know, all of us are in different places in life right now. And uh, wherever we are, God, you have a fresh word for us today. And we're thankful that your, your word is living and active. And it cuts like a two-edged sword. And, and so, God, we just invite your Holy Spirit to to breathe on this message. It sure as heck doesn't need to be my words. Um, God, would you please just empower the message and, uh, and send it straight where it needs to go in all our different hearts today. We thank you, God, for uh, allowing us one more day of life and breath and just everything, all the blessings that we're given. Um, we, we don't deserve it, but thank you for giving them to us. Thank you for being a good God and a gracious God and a generous God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 10 and uh, chapters, uh, verse 13 to 16. My wife is uh, pregnant uh, while you're still kind of trying to find your place. My wife is pregnant, and we have a, a, a two-and-a-half-year-old, I guess, and, um, and we're, we're getting ready to have our, our newborn. She's due uh, on September 1st, so basically any day now. And I told her earlier that I thought it would be kind of cool if her water broke during the service because I never had that happen in church before. And then she did this thing where... Uh, she didn't really say anything, but her, her nostrils flare, and she looks at me, and that's just a sign that I should just stop saying words and walk into another room. And um, so, anyway, just throwing that out there. Um, if I stop, I'm going to tag team Don. I'm going to leave my notes here, and we're going to go to Baptist. So, anyway, um, we're going to be in Mark 10, and uh, like I said, this is the passage where Jesus is um, kind of interrupted. Uh, this isn't really a this is well, you know, everything's purposeful, right? But, but there's something happening. There's a message happening. And then in the middle of that, there's these children that are getting brought by their parents to be blessed by Jesus. And, and this interruption shows us that the disciples got it wrong this time and that the parents got it right. And, uh, and, and in that kind of mash, just nasty kind of like conflict, Jesus is going to challenge a very widely accepted cultural idea that kids aren't very important. And he's going he's gonna to go against that pretty heavily. So if you want to stand as we read God's word, we're going to dive into the uh, passage. It's a short passage, a couple verses, uh, but it has a lot to say to us today. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. You can be seated. So Jesus 
is in this moment, and he's talking, and, and uh, this passage is found in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And uh, I picked Mark because it's one verse longer. It's a little more descriptive. And, uh, and we read that, that Mark was one of the first ones to write. And, and so I was kind of curious just to get that first kind of glimpse of what, what was happening. Plus, the other versions say that, uh, that Jesus was much displeased. And uh, most of the commentators I read were like, much displeased wasn't the word. Um, he was indignant. And that's what my, my version says. I don't know what your version has, but um, he was indignant. He was he rebuked them openly, okay? And there's a lot of pronouns there, if you notice, it's them and him and they and all this kind of stuff. And the, the, the picture I get is that these parents, right, are bringing them. They, they were bringing the children to him, okay? So the parents are bringing the children to Jesus. And then, and then, you know, they got rebuked. And so I imagine that somewhere between the mix of the parents and the, and the kids, that whole group just kind of got rebuked uh, by the disciples, right? Because they're big and bad and they have authority. They're the church leaders, and Jesus kind of steps in and says, no, 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 you guys stop it and I'll deal with you later. You ever had that said to you by your parent, by the way? You go to your room and I'll deal with you later. That stinks. That's not fun. You wait till your dad comes home. You ever got, that's even worse. But Jesus says, stop it. These kids, they're a picture of the kingdom of God. And you're rebuking them? And, and you know, you'd find in other passages and you'd see a little bit here where he says, they're the ones that get it and you don't which is kind of a scary thought because most of us in here are over the age of a child. Um, the interesting thing here is that as I was studying, I was thinking the teenagers are going to get a break this week because they're kind of children. I know you don't like to be called children, right? But you are, so you act like it, so you are. Um, I love you. And, um, but, but in these days, you guys, depending on your age, most of you would have been considered older than, than children, you know? Um, some of you, most of you, would have been able to get got married, does that freak you guys out at all? Um, like married women over here. Guys, not yet. Not yet. But, but they would have been considered almost like adults. And so the teenagers don't get a break from this lesson either because, because don't we sometimes teenagers treat our little brothers and sisters kind of poorly and maybe, maybe the uh, never, never, I'm getting a whole lot of this. And you're liars too. We need to talk about that next week. Come to me when you lie like a dog in church. <laughs> Um, so I, so I, what does Jesus want us to see in this? Because like I said, the disciples got it right. I'm sorry, the disciples got it wrong. The parents got it right. And Jesus challenges this idea. And this, there's this idea that, that children aren't very important. And it was, uh, it was true in that day, or at least that's what was massively believed. I don't mean it's true. It, it was true that they believed that in that day. And on some level, we believe it today. And I'm not trying to bring up all kinds of political issues, and we could talk about that all day, and I could wave a flag and all that, but, I mean, if we just brought up the abortion issue, you know, do, are we really that much more kind to our, to our children, to our babies? Um, I would say probably not. Now, granted, back then, they might, um, if they didn't like the baby they had, especially if it was a girl, because guys had a higher standing, right? If you had a man, he could take over the family line and, and, and do all of that kind of stuff, but if you had a girl they might just put the baby out with the trash as soon as it was born back in those days. They, could, they just did that. And it was like nothing, nothing ever happened. It's like it wasn't a big deal. And so uh, what do we, we want to see here? How does this relate to us today? I wrote down uh, five points, and I'm, I'm trying to keep the Scripture concise. It's very, very difficult for me to do that because 
you know, sometimes these <laughs> scriptures kind of spiderweb and they touch each other and they interact, right? And they got to wrestle with all that. And Jesus talks about children. In fact, he talked about children before this event, which means Jesus was probably even more mad. It's kind of like when your parents said, I told you this already. Make your bed or clean up the dishes or whatever, you know? It's that moment where it's not like you got told the first time, you got told the second time, and that's kind of what's happening here. But I wrote down five things, and the first one is just this, that, that we, we find in God's word that children are a blessing from the Lord. And obviously, they're, they're a blessing to parents, but yes, they're a blessing to the rest of us, which means your kids are a blessing to me, and my kids, hopefully, are a blessing to you. He may hit and pinch and kick you, but he's a blessing to you. Um, he's a two-year-old, but um, they're a blessing from the Lord. Um, Psalm 127, I'll just kind of read it, uh, verse 3 through 5. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Okay, so we are, we are to uh, count them as a, as a privilege, as an honor, a heritage, and, uh, and a blessing. And when we, um, when we treat them like they're not, uh, we, have, we have basically gone against what the Word of God says. And it's easy to do this, and I, I kind of, as I was thinking about it, being a male myself, you know, I don't know where everyone is at as far as how they relate to kids and things like that, but it's interesting if you put, like, a guy in a room and, like, let the little two- or three-year-old walk in and then just watch what that guy does, right? And the funny thing is is that some guys are, like, tough, like, I don't play with kids. Just kind of sit up, boat up on the, you know, on the kid and uh, come over here, let him play with me. I'm not getting on my hands and knees. I'm a man, right? Like, and I found it interesting, and, and one of the things that John Piper actually said about this is an interesting quote Uh, It's going to be on the screen. It says, one thing to watch when assessing a person's spiritual fitness for ministry is how he relates to children. Put a child in the room and watch. This is what Jesus did to make a point. Children are the litmus paper to expose the presence of pride. And that one will hit you right between the eyes. Like children are not good enough. Like I said, we we, we consider ourselves to be um, not barbaric, right? We don't treat children like that. Um... But sometimes we do in the way we relate to them. Maybe it's, maybe it's in the way we, we, um, we get angry very quickly. Or maybe, and, and I understand that. And, and by the way, I am a parent of a two-year-old, so I can now say this with authority. I know it's difficult to not lose your temper when you're, you know, you're like, what, I, how many examples could I give you of just, you know, why, why did you just break that? Why did you just bite the dog? Um, why are you eating the dog's poop? Um, you know, it happens right? It happens. It has happened in the past. Um, but the truth is, is that children are a blessing. And the, and the crazy thing about the disciples here is that, you know, they're around Jesus. And, you know, it is funny how we get around, like, our social status. Like, we, we, we say it's not important to us, but when we get around the higher-ups, you're like, yeah, I'm, look at me. Look who I'm next to. And so they're with Jesus and hanging. He's talking. And, uh, and then they, like, start kind of, like, kicking the kids out of the way. You know what I mean? And Jesus thinks it's that important enough to stop, rebuke the disciples own, uh, openly, in public. I mean, these are his disciples. These are, these are his guys. And, and I almost wish we could just know which ones they were, to know if it was like the really close one, right? Or if it's Peter who's always shooting off at the mouth. I was curious to know that, but we don't, we don't have that, and we'll find out later. But um, he rebukes them openly to teach them a lesson. It's that important. Why? Because not only are children a blessing, I mean, they teach us something about eternity. 
right? About how, how they kind of like easily, easily accept Jesus, right? And they depend on Jesus. Because back then and, and really today, they're socially powerless. So why spend time with the kids when you can spend time with the, the political leaders or the religious leaders that can get your message out, that can make your agenda go farther? I mean, I'm just saying this. I read business books that would probably tell me to kick the kids out of the way as well. Like the leadership books would never say, spend time with someone who can't push your agenda far. You know what I mean? They would say, like, get someone who's got a mouthpiece that can shout your agenda from the mountaintops. But you know, Jesus, he flipped the script on him, didn't he? He was like, you know what? This is, this is not about who can promote the agenda. This is about precious kids who are a picture of the kingdom of God. And they get it, and you don't. And it wasn't like he was just getting mad at them because they treated him poorly. It was, it was completely opposite. It was like, you, don't, you actually don't get it because these kids get it, and you don't. So we obviously need to stop talking about, you know, divorce and whatever they were talking about, which is what they were talking about just before that, and, and really just kind of dig in. Okay? So, so children are a blessing. The second thing I wrote down is that parents are to fight for their kids to get close to uh, as Jesus as possible. You're to fight to get your kids as close to Jesus as possible. Fight. Not when you have time. Not if you're not tired after you get home from work. Not if you want to sleep in on Sunday. I would really love to sleep in on Sunday. I'm just telling you. Like, I like to sleep. I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning. I hate that to death. You know? I love coming here. I don't like waking up at 5 a.m. for anything. But the truth is, is that isn't it more important to get our kids, right, just front row to Jesus, like, here. You know, and it's not just church. It's a home. It's a 24-7 faith that we should, we should, we should exemplify to our, our family. Like, this is how Jesus would act on Friday night as well as on Sunday morning. What would it look like if we really did embrace a 24-7 faith? In fact, most cultures in, in, in America now are they're trying to figure out how to reach their people, and they're just saying, we, what we just want you to do. We, we're not asking you to sign up for anything. We just want you to wrestle with the truths of God, not just on Sunday after church. Just go ahead and wrestle with them all week. Just open that word. Just read a little bit of it and just wrestle with it and just teach your kids a little bit of it. And, and what we're finding is that most people don't want to do that. They want, I will go to church on Sunday. Maybe two times a month, I will go to church on Sunday, though. We have our dress clothes. We have our loafers, right? That's what I had. We have our loafer. We put them on on Sunday, and we go to church. And that's not what Jesus is after. You're the primary spiritual care uh, for, your, for your kids. You're the, you're the pastor. We, uh, we, we've done, and I grew up thinking this, by the way, not because of my parents, but just because you kind of you catch it as you grow older, that people get close to God because they go to church. And so if you want to get your kids close to Jesus, you, you just take them to church, right? And, uh, and all our classes are awesome and everything, but, but if they're coming here once, even twice a week, and then they're seeing something different at home, let me just tell you, there's, there's going to be a, a kind of an identity crisis there. Like, I'm supposed to act like Jesus, but my parents don't want to. So who do I follow, <laughs> right? My parents are going to spank me if I <laughs> don't want to go to church. You know, they're, they're my authority, so I guess I'll just, you know, even if they're, they're smart enough to rationalize that, which in their little brains, they can't, they can't rationalize how there would be a difference between what's said on Sunday and what's, what's done throughout the week. 
um, early, early on in the, New, in the Old Testament, excuse me, in Deuteronomy 6, um, kind of earlier on in the, in, the, in the nation of Israel, Moses stands up, and, and they've been through a lot. It's in Deuteronomy, so they've been through Exodus and all that, all that junk. They've been through the slavery and all this kind of stuff, and they're, they're kind of trying to start figuring some things out. And here's one of the, 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 the brilliant things. He says this to, to the whole nation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He starts off with the very most important thing. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You've probably heard that in the New Testament somewhere too, huh? Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He's kind of covering all his bases, right? There's not really a time that you're not supposed to teach your kids this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. He goes on to talk about how people are really, really good at forgetting what God has done in the past. And I am too, by the way. Uh, really good at forgetting how God delivered us. And then we can kind of live a comfy life because, right, because he delivered us. We're good, so we don't really need to focus anymore. And the truth is that he says, never, 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 ever forget that you were in slavery, and I'm the one who rescued you. And really, what, what we would all do a good, a good deed for ourselves is just to always remember that we are continually rescued by Jesus. Like every day, his mercies are new, right? And so for us to remember that and remember that our kids, like, okay, so the Lord your God is one, is priority number one. Very close second, you teach these things to your kids. Don't you do anything else. Don't you get involved in anything else, all the hobbies, all, the, all your work and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'll take care of the bills, I'm not t- trying to tell you to be lazy, like work, work a job, but definitely do not ever let these things fall by the wayside. You teach your kids these things. And so if, um, if the Old Testament isn't good enough for you, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, um, we have it again. In verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. Don't teach them when things go wrong. Please don't send them to the church when, like, you haven't been in church for 16 years. You're like, fix them. I can't. I can't. I can't. You get them in front of Jesus continually. And part of that is by you being a faithful follower yourself. But you push them right in front of you. You get them a front row seat right there in front of Jesus as often as you can. And it'll be a blessing to you. And I guarantee you, like, just kind of reverse engineer your life for a second. What do you want to be able to say about your life when it's all over and done with? Got front row seats at the Razorback game. Sweet. I got a promotion. Sweet. I drove a really, really nice car, and we lived in a really nice house. Good. It's, it all burned in the end. Your kids, your kids are so important. And Jesus Jesus has these kids on his mind constantly. They're important to him. They're not just another thing. They're a blessing. They're they're what he's thinking about all the time. We need to be good stewards of our kids. By the way, they aren't ours. We get to to steward them for a little while, and then it's over with, right? They're not not actually ours. They're God's kids. Do Do not be a poor steward of what God has given you. So the children are a blessing. Parents are to fight to get their kids as close to Jesus as possible. 
The third thing I wrote down is just that the church is to partner with the family to ensure that every child gets to see Jesus as clearly as possible. The church and the family really have the same mission. It's just that we're secondary and you're primary. Does that make sense? And that's not me shirking my responsibility as a youth pastor. I'm saying it's the parent's job. It's my job to parent Kipton and Caden Cox first, right? And it's not just that they're only going to have me as an influence in their life. I'm going to send them to church, and they're going to be a part of kids' ministry and youth ministry and all that kind of stuff. But primarily, they're under my leadership, under my stewardship for the time that I have them. It's important. But what if? What if you do have, like, you know, you're an amazing parent. You've got it, you've got it nailed down. You're spending time with your kids. You're, you're sharing Jesus' word with them. You get them to the church, and it's our job to partner with them because the disciples here got it wrong, bad wrong. They were kicking away the kids when Jesus wanted them, and they didn't get it. And here's the interesting thing. They, they'd been told before, uh, just a, a chapter before in Mark 9, uh, it's like around 36, that area. Um, where am I? Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives me, not me, but him who sent me. Okay, so, so what Jesus just said is that the, oh, maybe a method of receiving God is receiving a little child in his name. You receive a child in his name means you receive Jesus. You receive Jesus means you receive God because he's the exact imprint of his nature, Hebrews tells us. Guys, our children, our children are important. And I love, let me just tell you, I love our church for how hard we work to get after kids. But our work isn't done. Our work isn't done. It's never done. We are to work hard. So the disciples got it wrong. The parents got it right. And, um, you know, there's another passage. You may have read this one before. This is kind of like, this is a gangster verse in the, in the, in the Gospels. That if you uh, lead one of these little children astray, it'd be better if, if you had a millstone tied to your foot and you were dropped in the ocean. Like Jesus said that. It's like, that's gangster stuff. But he's not, he didn't like joke after he's, he's like, ha, 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 I'm just kidding. He's like, no, really, I would tie a millstone to your foot and drop you in the ocean. Those are harsh words. No, Jesus isn't often very practical, by the way. So if you're looking for a practical faith, then you probably look somewhere else. Because Jesus is very impractical sometimes. <laughs> millstone, foot, ocean. Don't do it. So, so I kind of thought about it. And, you know, and the church, listen, let me just, can I just be honest with you forthcoming? The church hasn't done just a real good job. I'm not talking about Indian Springs. I'm just talking about the church universal. Because the truth is, is that we've, we thought it was about this and that. And then we thought it was about this and that. We didn't like the way it was going, so we did this and that. And all the, all the meanwhile, we're getting these, these stats that are kind of, kind of scaring us. Because in, in elementary to middle school, like 95% of our kids are getting reached. Like they're going to church and they're connected to a faith family somewhere, right? Or maybe they're connected to a lot of them, which is kind of the, the growing trend is we'll just pick which one we want to go that week, which I'm not a big fan of, but I'm not going to talk about that right now because I don't have time. 95% of elementary and middle schoolers are, are connected to a faith family somewhere and are getting reached. Even if, even if they're not going all the time, there's a connection there to Jesus. High school, it drops almost in half to 55%. Maybe because the, the driver's license, maybe it's because we're tired of the same old thing. Maybe it's because, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a personal issue. Maybe it's, you know, but it's, but it's an epidemic in our country. It's happening. This is not 
just our church, like I said, this is, this is very real. We lose kids when they graduate into high school. But what's worse is this. Only 11% were still going in college. Can you even see these in the back? Like 11%. You don't even fill the bottom of the, the thing. 11%. What does that show us? Like something's wrong, right? Isn't something wrong? And, and, and somehow we've gotten something like mixed up in our heads where, where they go to college and they're supposed to figure it out on, on their own is really what we're, what we're used to doing. And shame on us churches, shame on us parents, shame on us small group leaders for not continuing on with them while they're in college. But, but this is the truth. And this is, this is very real. This is happening today, 2012, in our nation. No wonder it looks like it, the way it looks like on the college campuses and the parents growing up not teaching their kids the things of Jesus because they checked out a long time ago. These are the only kids left. And so what I want to ask is just, what does it take? What does it take to get a kid here, right? In college, going to church, faithfully attending, what does it take to get a kid there? It's just a question I want to ask, I want to wrestle with. You know, because the church is supposed to do their job, but the family's supposed to do the job too. There's a, there's a guy that I follow by the name of Reggie Joyner, and he said it this way, that two combined influences, combined influences, have a much greater impact than just two influences alone. So if we found a way to, to work together, and, and I really believe um, that our church does a pretty good job of this and that we're getting better at this. By the way, the reason Wednesday night is structured the way it is, um, the reason kids' ministry went from kid, Sunday night to Wednesday night, the reason the student ministry basically is going from a cell group model where they're all over the place to Wednesday night right here on the campus the reason that we're having Wednesday night classes, discipleship classes for the adults, all the same time where you can come in as a family and leave as a family, is just to maybe chink away at this just a little bit. Like, like let's, let's get a little bit further down the line. Let's, let's see if we can't get more of these on the stats. So Wednesday nights, 6 to 7.30, whoever you are, come on. There's no excuses. There's no excuses. 6 to 7.30, lead your family. But it's not just Wednesday night, right? It's, it's Thursday night, it's Friday night, it's Saturday morning, and it's Sunday morning. Whatever it is, there's all kinds of different ways to, to break this down. Parents, you have a job. Guess what? Church staff, volunteers, we have a job. And by the way, it's not just church staff. It's, it's small group leaders out there, Sunday school teachers, right? Wednesday night class discipleship leaders. I don't know who you are, but if you're involved in, in reaching these, these kids, then, then you're a part of it, right? It's important. It's important. You know, in a year, I get to see kids for about 40 hours on average. That's average. You know, some kids I get to see a little more, and some kids I get to see a little less. But your parents, you get them for 3,000 hours in a given year. You know, with school, taking into account, sleep, all that kind of stuff, Friday nights where they're gone, 3,000 hours. What if we combined, right? Because there's... I'm not going to lie to you and tell the church hours aren't important. Somehow the church hours are multiplicative because there's 40 hours, and it seems like so little, but so much happens while they're there, right? And they go to church camp, and they blow those numbers out of the water, so that doesn't really work. But, but when they're at church, there's a kind of focus that they're supposed to be learning, and so those, those hours are multiplicative. What if we combine those two influences and put them in the same focused path? I mean, could you imagine... Our kids wouldn't drop off, and, and our kids would be serving the community more, and, and I, I guarantee you our classes would be growing. 
I can't imagine what it would look like if we, if we partnered closely. This idea uh, of uh, partnering together, I, we've kind of, you know, like I said, Reggie has, has helped us put kind of a color to it because if you take the light of the, the church, God says we're a light, and if you take the kind of the, the, the love and the, the, the heart of the home and combine those two, that you might come up with orange. And, and, and I don't know if that's something that you might remember, but maybe next time you see the color orange, maybe you might think, like, this is what happens when the church and family unite for the same purpose. Couldn't it be amazing if we saw our kids really thrive and really help them fuel their faith? And not because we want to have the biggest kids' ministry or youth ministry in the country. That's not it at all. It's because they're important to Jesus. They're important to Jesus. If anything is important to Jesus, it's important to us. Or it should be. The fourth thing I wrote down, that our faith is to be childlike. Not childish, right? I'm not asking you to throw a fit if you don't get a cookie after dinner. This is a common misconception about this passage. So I get to like, no, you don't. Um, childlike. And I wrote a few things down about what childlike looks like. First of all, just the, the humble dependence on others. Think about that. I mean, just they have no other choice but just to rely on their family to take care of them. What about the receptivity to the gospel and to Jesus himself? What about them, their acceptance of themselves? When's the last time you saw a little kid being like, oh, I just, I need to drop five pounds. I'm just, school year starting, got to look good. Kindergarten's coming up. Right? Their acceptance of themselves. They're not, they're not all, you know, bothered by all that stuff. Their position in life. There's no question that they're dependent. And the fifth one I wrote down is just kind of this beautiful picture of what it looks like when a kid that's hurting or broken or, or maybe he got in trouble just runs straight to his parents. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, sometimes, um, and I'm sure there's an age where, where kids do something wrong and they're like not running to their parents or running away from their parents. And, and I understand that. But there's this, this innocent little childhood thing where, where, and my son does this. He's two years old and he breaks something and he walks right up to me and he holds it. He's like, broken. I'm like, you're in trouble. <laughs> You're so darn cute, but you're in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about that that, that, that we're supposed to exhibit in our own faith in God. And, um, and, and I think that it's probably a struggle for me when, when I see people that, that do do something wrong in their life and they run away from God. I don't think that's the appropriate response, guys. Because I couldn't imagine if my son did something wrong and then couldn't run to me and tell me about it. I couldn't help him through it. And if, if I want that for my earthly son, our Heavenly Father wants that for us. He does not want the distance. In fact, He's not the one that's distant. We are. Right? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. His Holy Spirit dwells with us forever and ever. And He doesn't want that distance. He wants the closeness. Right? The idea of a childlike faith mirrors a child running to their kid or a child running to their parent when they're, when they're hurting. You know, we're saved by faith. Right? By grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it's not, a, it's, not, it's not by works. It's not anything you can do. You can't climb a ladder, right? You can't pay a certain amount of money. You can't do a certain amount of community service. You can't go to a lot of church services. You can't get baptized. Those things don't save you. God's gift of salvation by the cross saves you. And that's it. And a child, a childlike faith can accept that. 
Listen, we adults are not good at that. We, we, we feel this tension of like, oh, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. You know what I mean? Like, I got I to gotta do this thing, and, and then I'll feel good about myself. So often we, 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 we think feeling good about ourselves is actually the same as God being happy with us, and, and, and he doesn't change, guys. He loves you. And if you have submitted your life to him, he loves you, he saves you, he rescues you continually over and over again. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of faith. And the fifth thing that I wrote down is that Jesus values humility. Not social status and not money and not political power. Not any of those things. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians 2 talks about this. And it's one of my favorite passages. I preach it way too much. I think I bring it up every time I'm in here, but it's so good. Philippians 2 says that, uh, I want to read it verbatim. My bookmarks are handy. Do nothing from rivalry or selfish conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in yourself, this mind, humility, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Like he came here as a human from heaven. We have no idea how fall of a drop that is, but it's pretty far, I imagine. And he did that for us. That's humility. That's humility defined. He's all about humility. And kids, kids show that picture to us. That's why they're an image of the, the kingdom of God. So what would it look like? What would it look like for us to partner together, family and church, to fuel the faith of the next generation? Because parents need to step it up. I'm guessing at some point you need to step it up, parents. I need to step it up, right? I need to be more focused, more intentional with my family than I was last year. And church, we need to be more focused and we need to be more intentional than we were last year, right? The balls that we let drop, we're not going to let those balls drop anymore. Family, church, across the board. But I got this picture that I want to share with you just to kind of help illustrate this, that, that when there's unity, when there's perfect unity, there's power in that. Because there's, this, there's this, uh, this horse, a Belgian plow horse, I learned, can plow and pull 8,000 pounds. 8,000 pounds. It's a lot. But two of them, two of them that have never, ever met before can pull, what would you guess, 16? They can pull 24,000 pounds together. More than just two, you know, like it's not one plus one. There's a, there's a multiplication as- aspect to it. Think about that. These two horses that have never met before work together, and they can pull 24,000 instead of 8,000. You know what two that have been trained to work together can pull? 32. 32,000 pounds. Or one could pull eight. I just can't imagine what it might look like if we actually really partnered together to together fuel the faith of our next generation. And I, guys, I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of churches, I have a lot of friends, a lot of youth pastors in other churches that they're not getting it done like Indian Springs does. I'm proud to be here. I was excited to come here, and I'm still excited to be here because we can do this. But there has to be an intentional partnership, and, and that means that the church has to be intentional. And you know what that means? The, the parents have to be intentional. And everyone that has dealings with children, and really that's, that's everyone. We all need to be ready for this. It needs to be intentional about loving our children and pushing them towards Jesus, giving them a front seat. They're not in the way. And if they're in the way, 
then you don't get it. Right? Because Jesus says they are important to me. And if you don't get it, then it's time to just sit down and do a little reflection. So I don't know where you're at today. You might need to respond a couple different ways. You know, uh, one of the things that you might be able to do is just take a class. Listen, one of the books back there, one of the classes offered is a parenting class. George Barna does phenomenal research and can help you understand what works and what doesn't. That might be a class. But it might, just, it, it might not be a parenting class. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a Bible study class. Whatever you need, get, get involved, right? And, and stay involved with your kids at home, right? Maybe, maybe don't put the TV on just so that you have free babysitting. Maybe spend some time together. Open up God's word and talk. But maybe, maybe you're in another group of people and you've been in a class far too long. You're stale, right? You're just kind of like, feed me, feed me, feed me. Maybe you need to serve the children that Jesus is talking about. Serve the children that are on Jesus' mind. I don't know where you're at, but, but here's what I say. I think spiritual growth is multiplied when you serve, not just when you read the Bible. Like, reading the Bible's good, hear me, right? It's good, and you need to do that. That's primary. You know what you need to do? You need to serve. You need to serve young children. You need to serve all, all generations, but our children need your help, right? They need pictures of Jesus to help them discover their own faith. And maybe, maybe you're in a whole other group of people. Maybe you've been trying to buy, buy your salvation with your good works. Maybe you've been trying to climb that ladder, right? Maybe you're really excited about going to heaven because you went to church today and you feel good about yourself, right? Because, because that's what gets you to heaven. And I'm just be the first person to tell you that that's not what gets you to heaven. It's not what gets you a relationship with Jesus. And it's not what gets the Holy Spirit living inside of your heart. It's submitting your life. It's confessing, right, that he's the son of God and that he died for your sins, and that you need a savior. You need rescue. We all need rescue desperately. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe you need to serve. Maybe you need to sign up for a class in the back. And maybe you just need to come up here and pray. Maybe you need to ask God's forgiveness for the way you've been parenting. Or maybe you've been, maybe you've been, you know, winging it in your Sunday school class, and those kids deserve better, Right? Maybe you just need to come and submit your life to God for the very first time. Say, you know what? I do need a Savior. And I didn't know it was that easy. Gosh, the faith of a child. To just understand how humbly dependent you are on him and his grace. And that's it. So whatever you need to do today, I just invite you to respond. And Stu's going to come up and, and play for a little bit. And whatever you need to do, we're not going to hold it out very long. If you've got a decision to make, we're not going to wait on you. I mean, just... Come on, let's make this decision. It's time to make a bold decision based on a response for what God has done for you. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to spend some time. I'm going to pray. Why don't you guys uh, stand?